In June 1888, Annie Besant, a reporter, was in a meeting of the Fabian Society, a Marxist socialist group in London, and there she heard a speech from a woman talking about the working conditions of women at the Bryant and May Matchstick Factory in London. Annie was horrified. And so the next day, she went down to the Bryant and May factory and began to interview workers, where she found that they worked under horrific pay and conditions, sometimes 12 to 14 hours a day for five shillings a week. Not that I know what five shillings means, but some of you might fill me in a bit later on. Apparently, it's not much. On top of that, they were forced, uh, forced upon them was a system of fines where they would be docked pay for dropping matches or going to the toilet without permission. They would also be docked half a day's pay for turning up late. I don't think I'd ever get paid. So Annie did this research and as a result of her research, she wrote an article called White Slavery in London. And on top of the, what she discovered about the pay and conditions was the existence and use of phosphorus in British matchstick-making... Fa- that's not an easy thing to say, matchstick-making factories. The USA and Sweden had banned the use of phosphorus, or at least this particular type of phosphorus, in the making of matches. But in Britain, the government refused to ban it. Do you know why? It's cheap. Yep, there you go. That wasn't hard, was it? This phosphorus that they used disfigured women, poisoned women, killed women. But it was cheap. So, of course, that's okay. Well, she wrote, White Slavery in London about these women. And the company responded by attempting to get all the women in the factory to sign a statement saying that they were perfectly happy with their work life and conditions. A small group of these women refused to sign the document and encouraged all the rest to refuse to sign the document as well as an out-and-out lie. And so they were fired. And as a result, the rest of the women, 1,400 staff, went on strike. I'm sure some of you have heard this story. Those of you who study industrial relations, this is one of those key moments in history in the movement of labour politics or labour, the labour movement. Annie wrote for a newspaper edited by W.T. Stead. W.T. Stead was also um, instrumental in helping William Booth write his major work in Darkest England and the Way Out. But back at this time, in 1888, he was editing a newspaper. And Stead joined Annie in the campaign, as did Catherine and William Booth and the Salvation Army. Other notable figures from the Marxist Socialist Society were George Bernard Shaw, and a few others who are super famous people. The women formed a union and under the leadership of Annie Besant, they negotiated better paying conditions and returned to work in three weeks. But the phosphorus problem was not solved. They just got paid more to die sooner. In 1891, William Booth opened the Salvation Army Match Factory 
that used the more expensive but harmless red phosphorus. The Salvation Army paid their staff twice as much as Bright and May and the other manufacturers and still managed to force all other matchmakers in the UK to abandon yellow phosphorus and saving thousands of lives, transforming an industry and contributing to the fight for the rights of workers. At the 150-year celebrations of the Salvation Army held in London a few years ago, the matchbox design was recreated and re-released as a celebration of, those great, uh, of this great Salvation Army victory in social justice. I've got a picture of the new matchbox design. There you go. Sorry, that's the original design, and the new one is the same. Has anyone got a, actually got one of these matchboxes? Anyone who went? Yeah? You didn't go, but you got one. Ah, you don't have to go to London to get them. But how interesting is it to see, in order to successfully manage to make a business which pays its staff twice as much as everybody else and uses a more expensive product to begin with, they made a full advertising campaign right there on the box. Plenty of, uh, yeah, you know, love thy neighbour as thyself fight against sweating, raise the wages, fair wages for fair work. The social wing of the Salvation Army makes it sound like we should be an Air Force, but anyhow. This is the final week in our message series exploring our mission as the Salvation Army. We are looking at the final plank in our mission statement, working for justice. If you missed it, the other three planks are caring for people, creating faith pathways and building healthy communities. If you would like to travel back in the YouTube feed, you'll find those messages and I encourage you to go be encouraged and inspired by what the mission is. Now, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Isaiah 58. And uh, we have here the ancient words of the prophet Isaiah, written down about 500 years before Christ. But since we believe they are the words from the heart of an unchanging God, we find a lot to learn. And yeah, I encourage you to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of uh, what we're here to about this morning. Basically, what's going on in this chapter, or around this chapter, is that the great God-fearing, God-worshipping nation of Israel has some issues. Here's what God says through the words of Isaiah. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what is the right thing to do, and they love having me on their side, but they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? That's Isaiah 58 verse 2. They've got issues. They complain that God seems to be ignoring them. Their country isn't doing so well. It's not growing and developing and becoming wealthier like they expected. And as far as they're concerned, they're doing everything right. Making every religious observance, fasting and feasting according to God's laws and commands. Well, God responds by telling them they're full of it. That's a theological term. Here we go. They put profit first, driving their employees too hard. That's verse 3. They bicker and fight. That's verse 4. They put on fake faces of piety and solemnity. That's verse 5. They are full of it. 
They can't say, on the one hand, that they worship God and yet treat people with disregard, disrespect and disdain. Isaiah says, instead, this is what God really wants. This is how He wants people to respond to His love and attention. He lists them, simply, in verses 6 and 7. Number one, break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts, share your food with the hungry, invite the homeless into your homes, put clothing on the shivering ill-clad, be available to your own families. And that's good. Now, for us, as we've talked about in the last three weeks, we do care for people. We do build healthy communities, we do create faith pathways. We are trying to fulfill this mission to feed, shelter, clothe people, being available to them as though they were our own family, our own flesh and blood. But right here and elsewhere, as we saw in the video before, through the Psalms, through the prophets, through the writings of Scripture, God says, those things are great, and, and I want all of those things, but there are three things that are more important. Three things above them in this list. Injustice, exploitation, and oppression. These three things are the reason why many people need food, shelter, and clothing. Last Wednesday... As you know, we had the launch of the Red Shield Appeal here in the Illawarra. Lord Mayor Gordon Bradbury stood up and he noted that we live in a great country. Who agrees? We do, right? We live in the best city in a great country. We have in our nation a lot of structures, a lot of supports for people in need. But he does say, you know what, we, we know that despite all the things that we have, people do fall through the cracks, yeah? And he praised the Salvation Army for being there for the people who do fall through those cracks. He's right. I believe we have a well-earned reputation for being there for people who fall through the cracks. But because we are here, because we see these people, because we hear them, listen to them, we are super aware of the cracks that exist. We are passionate about seeing them closed, filled in, eliminated. Archbishop Desmond Tutu says that this is not just a Salvation Army thing. Christians shouldn't just be pulling people out of the river. We should be going upstream to find out who's pushing them in. To be neutral in a situation of injustice is to have chosen sides already. It is to support the status quo. So God says to Israel that if you truly care about people, it's not enough to give them an FPOS card or a bag of food. It's not enough to hand out clothes or find them somewhere to sleep for the night or other necessities into their backpacks. There are structures, ways people do things in our world that are discriminatory or even abusive. If we look across the world, this is fairly obvious in some places, right? We see corrupt governments, we see oppressed people. 
Sometimes we even look at our own nation and we see the way refugees are imprisoned on a Manus Island and in other places indefinitely as of last week. Our very own government, we can see abusive structures and those are obvious and we fight for them to be closed. But other structures are not so obvious. The way in which we limit the amount of money given to those who are seeking a job in this country is a structure that is not immediately seen as abusive. But it is. The way in which, for instance, we allow Amazon, we all love Amazon thanks to COVID, keeping us alive and keeping us with all the junk that we want to buy. But the way they run their warehouse in this country, while within law, is exploitative and abusive to the workers there. We will see people coming to us for food, shelter and other necessities, so long as these structures and practices remain. These are the cracks. So we as the Salvation Army, this is the fourth plank, we work for justice. How? How, practically speaking, do we live out this mission? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to educate, investigate and activate. Get it? They all rhyme. That helps, doesn't it? Let's talk about educating. Now, Annie Besant was was interested, right? She, she was interested in the plight of the poor. She was interested in the plight of exploited workers. That's why she was at the Fabian Society meeting that night where she heard the speech. She was educated. And our first step is to get educated, to read about the issues, to read newspapers, to get involved in community groups, to listen for true injustice. The Salvation Army provides many resources on an international and national level to help us see the big issues. Um, at the back of the room there, I've laid out a whole bunch from the International Social Justice Commission, statements on the Salvation Army's understanding and belief around certain issues. And I encourage you, I've printed out only a few copies of each if you're interested in, um, you can take one. And if there's a topic there that you're interested in and someone's taken them all, then uh, let me know. We'll just print out some more, easy as. On a more local level this year, um, we will take special weeks and things to focus on various issues. This week, for instance, coming up will be National Reconciliation Week. And we'll talk about the awareness of Indigenous injustice and other focuses on poverty, homelessness and other major issues across our nation. And that's what we'll do. That's how we'll educate ourselves. That's how we'll learn. But there's only so much you can be exposed to in a, in a talk, in a speech, in a quick uh, post on Facebook. See, Annie Besant heard the lecture about the treatment of women in the mastic factory. And before she uh, went and wrote her article, she went and investigated. This is really important, I want to say. We are exposed in our world to a bunch of social causes and concerns through Facebook, Insta and Twitter. And they upset us. 
We want to repost. We want to see protest or support. But often people repost things and don't actually do any investigation about the truth of what they're reposting. We need to know what we know is really real. Too often we fly off at something and it turns out the story isn't quite what we thought it was. Has anyone seen someone post something like that on Facebook that just turns out to be hogwash? Anyone sitting next to somebody who's... Yeah, we need to investigate. The Salvation Army is extremely cautious in this area. We have a huge name in Australia. So when we say things, it gets listened to. So we need to make sure we tell the truth. Sounds like a plan. We have a whole team of people who are policy research and social justice team, and they fact check, they report, they study. Um, For instance, if you serve on the front desk once a year over a month-long period, we survey everyone who comes in for assistance, and all that data gets put together, crunched together, and reports written. Uh, One of the big issues in Australia at the moment, as I said, is the income support that we pay for people looking for work. The Salvation Army's research uh, included tens of thousands of people who come to us for assistance, and we are actively campaigning for the government to increase the amount of money paid to people on Ustart and JobSeeker, or whichever they're called now. So, we educate, we investigate, and now the call is to activate. Annie Besant did learned something, investigated some more, found out the truth, and then she wrote her article, calling an industry to account. She recruited her boss, who then, well, knew the Salvation Army, and so William and Catherine Booth, particularly Catherine, heard about what was going on, and she began to campaign. She spoke, preached, wrote pamphlets, and distributed information to thousands upon thousands of people across London. And of course, They wrote to Parliament as well. Our research into the level of money given to people on Newstart was created, uh, condensed into a submission, and we told them what we knew, and then we asked them to increase the amount. Um, I've printed out that submission for anyone who's interested in knowing what the Salvation Army is telling the government. There's that submission. I've also put two others there, um, probably the most significant ones we've made in the last six to 12 months. There's a submission on COVID recovery and a submission to the government around the establishment of an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice within government. We also prepare a report on social justice in Australia. And interestingly enough, though that report, wording from that report, has found its way into government policy platform. And um, we are quite amazed, I would say, at the top levels of the Salvation Army as to how much influence we have in forming policy and helping governments to fight for the things that we believe in. In fact, this is one of the major values or major outcomes of becoming one single territory in this country, is that we have a much greater voice and we are actually quite surprised at the amount of um, attention we get from government around social justice issues. Our fight is going well. Well, 
Uh, those submissions, of course, are back on the table there for you to read out of interest. Uh, there's a few there that have multiple copies and you can take one if you wish. You are also invited to write to your local Member of Parliament. Right now, our focus might be on raising New Start, but also we're asking for a greater focus to be placed on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And there are other things as you educate and investigate that you might like to write to your local Member of Parliament. We have a great website, um, the Salvation Army does, that will help you know how to write, how to address them, the sorts of things that need to, you need to put on there to get through to them. And of course, it'll help you find out who your local member is, which is always helpful. Does anyone know who your local member is? You do? Okay, well done. Okay. Well, this is it. My prayer and our challenge is that if we live out our mission to educate ourselves and expose ourselves to the issues and injustices that cause people to fall through the cracks, then our mission is to investigate those issues, try to identify the structures that cause those cracks to form and try to figure out how we might respond and then to activate, to get involved, to campaign, to write to your local member, but then to get out to protest when the issues are, um, are large enough. That is what the Lord requires of us. That is our mission, our Salvation Army, our nation and our global society. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we acknowledge that we live in a blessed country. We acknowledge that so much has been done to serve the poor and to look after them. But Lord, we also recognise that there are some huge issues that we have to face. There are some incredible injustices that take place under our government, under our watch. Lord, help us to know what those are. Help us to investigate the truth. Help us to write, learn, protest. Help us in our mission, we pray, to bring about the justice you want to see in our society. This we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our final song together. Uh, Karen and Glennis are going to lead the singing and you guys can sing too. Let's stand together and sing. <laughs>